You're listening to Broken Hearted with Althea Branton. Join me for unscripted conversation about heartbreak in all its forms. Instead of getting over heartbreak, move through it. Face your pain and see what happens next. Welcome to Broken Hearted. I'm Althea Branton, and I'm so glad you're here. This week's episode is probably one of my favorite conversations. Dr. Simone Catraba and I talk about what it's like to grow up in the West Indian community. Dr. Catraba immigrated to the U.S. at age 14 from Jamaica, whereas I am first-generation Canadian. My parents are from Antigua, which is a smaller island in the Caribbean. So we talk about what that was like, what it's like to be in, to grow up with a whole different culture, a culture that is other than the culture that you find yourself surrounded in. And around the 27th minute, you're going to hear a light bulb moment where it's almost as if Dr. Kertraba puts in perspective both of our childhoods. Enjoy. Simone, thank you for coming on to Broken Hearted today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is a pleasure. And I cannot wait to get to our conversation because we are two individuals who have both grown up in the West Indian community. And for those of you who don't know, the West Indian community is otherwise known as the Caribbean community. The West Indies were... We want to get back to colonial times, and this might trigger some things for folks, but no intent, no triggers are intended, but the West Indies were what the British coined when they were trying to look for the East Indies, but they found those, I'm pretty sure they found them pretty well, um, and took everything they had, but like I said, that's a whole other conversation. So essentially, <laughs> the West Indies was the New World, so what is now currently known as the Caribbean. So Simone, tell me, what do you think as, as, as someone who has grown up, you are first generation American. Mm -hmm. I'm first generation Canadian. We are first generation (laughs) West Indians. How do you think that growing up in this diaspora, and I hope I said that right. Diaspora, diaspora. Oh, help us all. Either way. (laughs) How do you think growing up in the West Indian community has affected you today? Well, I actually, I was actually born in Jamaica and I lived there for the first 14 years of my life. And, um, and I moved to the U.S. Uh, at the age of 14. So growing up in the Caribbean, uh, in Jamaica, my outlook on life was a lot different than it is now. Um, it was more of, you know, a, like struggle. Um, I think I had to, I just told someone this story the other day. Like getting an education was our top priority. That's all our parents focused on. It's like, you need to get an education, but they never told us exactly what that meant and what that looks like. Um, So my, you know, growing up in in Jamaica was just trying to get to school. And because my family was uh, very poor, they didn't have enough money. My dad had a shop and I had to help serve, um, you know, work in the shop in order to, for us to be able to afford school. Um, and if I didn't go to the shop to help out or my, or my mom, then we wouldn't really have any money for school or for food for that, that matter. But I think for me, it forced me to grow up a lot faster. I'm like a middle child of five, right in the middle. And I believe that I'm the most independent. So I was always there working really hard 
really forced to be an adult um, in order to make money. I think that was like um, a priority for me and my family because I wanted an education. So I took that on to myself. I don't know if my family kind of put that in my peripheral or I just took it on, but it was a struggle because my family was poor. We lived in a um, extended family home with multiple, multiple members of our family. And my parents, my mom and my dad had four kids. And we, you know, at the time it was four of us then, four kids. And we all like shared like one room together in our grandmother's house. Um, so it was, it was challenging in that fact that, you know, you didn't have your own space, but it was also very fun because we had access to like outdoors activities and climbing trees and eating mangoes and going to the river because <laughs> the river was like in my backyard. So we would go there and, you know, that part was fun, but um, it was a lot of struggle, a lot of struggle. Yeah. So growing up, so you were born there, mm -hmm. so growing up there, and then your parents made the decision to move to the U.S. and you were old enough to actually absorb this and understand that you are, your entire existence as you know it is going to change and you're literally going to move to another country. Mm -hmm. How was that for you? How did you absorb that at, at that such a young age? Yeah. Initially, I was very excited because I heard, you know, America is the land of everything that's wonderful and beautiful. And I was excited to have a different life and to, you know, I heard that education was free. So for me, that was like a priority. <laughs> um, I, I don't know why I was thinking that, but I was. Um, and you didn't have to wear a uniform to school. So that was exciting that I could wear jeans to school. So initially it was exciting, right? The thrill. But once I went to Brooklyn, <laughs> went to Brooklyn, it was a different ball game. I faced a lot of challenges when I went to school. The kids would make fun of me because I guess, you know, at the time kids were all about wearing name brand clothing and I had like Payless sneakers and jeans that were not name brand. So they would make fun of the Jamaicans. They used to call us pineapple. Um, and it used to be a conflict between the Jamaicans and the Haitians in the school because it's Brooklyn, New York and Crownites, you know, um, a lot of Caribbeans. But for some reason, the Caribbean people were fighting against each other. So it was, it was challenging. It was really challenging um, trying to go to school. And, you know, there was, was not easy, but I just, I had a goal. So I just stayed focused on my goal, my personal goal, because I wanted to get out of poverty and get out of that Caribbean mindset of lack and limitations and hard work. I wanted to live more freely. Um, so it, it was a struggle. Um, I think I continued to struggle because of the mindset and the, the way I was raised with the, the, the premise that, you know, you need to have like five jobs in order to be successful. You need to make sure that, um, you know, you have, to, you have to scrape every penny that you have and you have to like hoard all these things that, you know, because my parents had that mindset. So they obviously, you know, downloaded onto me. So for me, it was a lot of struggle trying to figure out, okay, I'm in America, but this Jamaican mindset and it's all about like, you know, we have to stick together as Caribbean. And we lived in a neighborhood with a lot of Caribbean people, Jamaicans. So it was like being out of Jamaica, but in a neighborhood with Jamaicans. So it was interesting. Interesting. <laughs> when, yeah. when I hear you tell the story, I'm reminded of my own childhood. I, I'm a born Canadian. Um, mm. My parents are Antiguan. So when they came to Canada, um, they initially... They were supposed to settle in Toronto because that was the place to be, but 
because my father had family in the hometown that I grew up in, that's where they settled. Um, and you're right about that mindset. I think that that mindset of, of lack and poverty, I think it transcends the, the Caribbean because Antigua and Jamaica are a bit of a distance from one another. Um, I forget if they're Leeward or Windward Island. I always get them confused. And my parents used to cuss me for getting them confused. But, anyway, <laughs> um, but that, that mindset, I think, is something that encompasses the entire Caribbean. Mm. Because even though, you know, I was a born Canadian, I was still the parents of, I was still a child of immigrants. And so even though they came to this country, and same thing, education, was, oh, we had to get an education. We never were told why. It was just, go to school. And we went to school. And then when we would come home and say, oh, look what we learned at school today. About wait. <laughs> what is this? They, they never agreed with anything that we learned or what we learned was ridiculous. And that's not how they learned it. And mm-hmm. it was just a whole. But it's so funny that you mentioned that, that mindset of lack and that mindset of poverty, like it was almost as if, even though we went to school and even though um, we grew up in this area where we had opportunity to get great jobs, to pursue higher education, to do all kinds of weird and wonderful things, mm-hmm. there is still this element of, ooh, I don't know if you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know if you should even go like, you know, go down that far. We should just kind of stay home, stay in the neighborhood where we can see you and where we can comprehend just how far you can go. Mm -hmm. Did you experience anything like that? Like, yeah, get an education, but not too much. Just get a job, but don't earn too much. Yes. Yep, exactly. Yes. I, um, yes, I experienced that because when I, you know, I, you know, graduated high school and they thought that was great. Right. And I went to college uh, for my undergrad. And I remember at a certain point where people, my family members were calling me white um, because of, you know, I wasn't speaking Patois. I was speaking proper English and they were saying, oh, you're such a white girl, whatever. And uh, because you go to you know, college, you think that you're better than us. And you know, you're, not, you're on this high horse. You might fall off this horse that you're on. And you don't have any black friends. And everything was about race. And um, you know, what I was striving to, to, to accomplish was being knocked down, right? Um, yeah, so it was so confusing. It was so confusing. And I think that's what um, a lot of the things I'm, I'm unpacking all of that now as an adult, because I th- obviously that shaped the way I saw myself and the way, um, you know, I tried not to, I tried to kind of fit in with the black community for, you know, because of hearing those things. I always examine like, oh, do I have enough black friends? Like, <laughs> like not, you know, not consciously, like unconsciously, I'm like, it's popping up in my head, like, because of those conversations, not even conversations, but because of those um, statements, like, mm-hmm. members of my family would make, uh, and the people in the community would, yes, yes, so I, I experienced a lot of that. Yeah, I, can, I, yes, I got yes. called, my family called me a coconut all the time, mm-hmm. Oreo cookie, but at the same time, 
didn't they want us to get an education? Yes, because they told us to get an education. And it said, I want you to have a better life than I did so you can take care of me. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this, and, you know, it's so funny. It's, it's, I, I always found those statements so confusing. I, so as a kid, um, Canada is a bilingual country. So our, our national languages are English and French. So I had the opportunity when I was in grade seven to start French immersion. So I became, I started learning, well, I started learning French when I was four. That's a whole other story in itself. But I, I did really well at it. So I was part of this pilot project to start to learn French. So I went to a French immersion school and my goodness, well, she's going to be surrounded by all of these white people. Mm. And then it was, it was a, at first I wasn't allowed, I might not have been allowed to go because I would have been exposed to actual, actual, what are Canadians really? Um, People who didn't look like me, who had way more money, I would come home and see this and think I would have these delusions of grandeur and I would, you know, all of a sudden be something I'm not because the person I was supposed to be was black, struggling, poor, broke, but somewhat educated just enough to make people feel comfortable. Yes. So going on to French immersion, I went through French immersion all the way through high school. I have an honors bachelor of science and language, which effectively is a translation degree. I have a minor in simultaneous interpretation, which is a lot of words. Effectively, <laughs> I am fluently bilingual. I speak English and French. And for members of my family, to this day, <laughs> to this day, blows their minds. They cannot comprehend that I got the education. Mm. I got it. Mm-hmm. I still... You know, I can switch back and forth between languages without issue. Mm-hmm. I studied linguistics. Actually, in university, I actually, in linguistics class, I actually studied the slave trade routes. And I actually was able to pinpoint and break down the different patois depending on the island. Because my mother was saying something to me one day, and I thought, you know what? I want to know where that accent comes from. I want to know where these words come from. So I actually broke down and, and, just in tracing the, the slave trade routes to see where the slaves got shipped to from island to island mm-hmm. and kind of who was responsible. Like, was it the French? Was it the Portuguese? Was it the English? And depending on that, I could kind of pick up on where these accents come from. So I remember when I, I went home, I was home from university one day and I was telling my mother this exact story about the slave trades and the roots. She said, oh, that's too much for me. That's too fancy for me. And, and <laughs> just wasn't hearing it. So then I do remember having the sentiment of you want all of this for me, but do you really? Mm. I think on a conscious level they do, but I think subconsciously they don't because you know, the way they were raised, they were raised by parents who didn't have education and they grew up in a lack, uh, you know, with a lack mentality and their belief system were, were different. So I think, you know, all those subconscious beliefs were really saying, no, I don't want my, my girl to do this. I don't want my kids to do this, right? But consciously, they wanted it, but I don't think subconsciously they, they wanted it, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> it totally, no, it totally makes sense. And I'm always, I'm always curious as to what is it about us getting that education 
I am university. I, I even went and did a postgraduate program after university. So I have degrees and certificates from two different post-secondary institutions. Um, so I got all the education you could dream of. <laughs> Girl, I just, I'm still yes. doing more. So mm -hmm. I was always curious as to what is it about crossing that boundary that scares them so much? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I scared them because I didn't stop either. I kept going until I got my doctorate and I have like all these certificates. I have a doctorate degree and they just didn't know what to do with me. They're like, okay, we're done with this white girl. <laughs> we don't know what to do with her. <laughs> what is it? You want an education, but what makes it white? Yeah, I, I, apparently if you're, if you're speaking English, right, and you're not speaking Patois, and the way that, you know, the way that you, for me, my sisters used to really make fun of me, uh, the way that I dressed, the way that I spoke, the friends that I had, they call me Manhattan because, you know, because um, you're, you're uppity. Mm. But in my opinion, I was just, I'm an educated person. Um, and that means dif that's different for a lot of people, but I think I'm well-rounded in uh, many areas. And they didn't understand like my cultural perspective on a a lot of different things right because I traveled I had different friends I was out of the neighborhood out of that culture within the culture I was out and exploring so I don't think they understood how to interact with me or how to engage in conversations that would be you know on the same same page I guess um, but yeah they were they were they were not supportive at all um, of any of it at all um, and I think that prevented me from being close with my family member. I kind of just got in, had enough and kind of separated myself for a little bit um, because they weren't, I felt like put down each time I went to see them. Meanwhile, you wanted me to get an education. I got an education and now I'm here visiting or hanging out and then you're putting me down. So yeah, so it was, it's confusing. I it's, don't know what to make of it. I, I still don't. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I still I'm giving don't. up. I'm, I'm giving up on that. <laughs> I still don't. I mean, I don't know what is it about the West Indian community and perhaps the Black community at large that is so like, we got to rise up, we got to do better. But the moment you do, yes, yes, they want to keep you down. And are you more authentic or real? I remember having a conversation with someone in high school because um, I was in a French immersion high school. You know, it wasn't the most um, ethnically diverse place in the world. <laughs> um, so I remember somebody asking me one day why I wasn't, and this is going to date me, but it's okay because black don't cry. <laughs> somebody asking me why I didn't wear cross colors and Patrick Ewing running shoes. And I didn't have those big hoop earrings that all the girls had. I hate earrings. I, I don't wear them even to this day. Um, yeah. Why I didn't have baggy pants or anything, any of those, like why I didn't wear FUBU for example. And I just said, okay, well, first of all, I like my clothes to fit. Second of all, Wearing your clothes halfway down your behind just means that they're going to fall and it's kind of impractical because I don't want to fall on my face. I was a bit mm -hmm. back then. I think I still am. <laughs> Third, these are, these are labels, right? Synonymous with black culture, synonymous with hip hop culture. I still remember a time where Billboard had a black music list, like a hot 100 black. It was actually called black music list. 
So to me, being black wasn't something that you bought on st- in the store. I already am. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I can do about that. So I'm going to do as I see fit. I'm going to speak as I see fit. I'm going to pursue the things and pursue the dreams that I want to do and not worry about whether or not I have some kind of label that makes me down or hype or, you know, am I with it enough? And that used to, I had this throughout university. I had even, it does come up sometimes even now, you know, the way people ask me why I don't have an accent. I said, well, I don't know. Why don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Am I supposed to? (laughs) You know, am I supposed to have an accent? Does that make me more black? Does that make me more Antiguan if I have an accent? It just, it's, I am who I am. This is the color of my skin. The world is just going to have to deal with the fact that, yeah, I went through like a Pearl Jam phase. I went through uh, a rave phase where I only wore like those house jeans and listened to house music and (laughs) all that stuff. But does that make me less black? Apparently Mm -hmm. it did. Mm -hmm. And that was mostly from the black community. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I I mean, you always get questions. Like I I wore extensions at the time. Um, Can I touch your hair? Is it real? Mm -hmm. Is it glue that's stuck on it? Is it made of horse hair? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I got those questions all the time. And, you know, I've I've come to learn um, who is being genuine, like who genuinely wants to know and people are just straight up being ignorant. So I would say, okay, you know, I had my standard list and even, um, people would ask me, where are you from? I would tell them, but it it was never good enough. Mm -hmm. The answer I I would give was never good enough. So I just started making up things like I was from Zanzibar or something like that. Um, (laughs) purely to just amuse myself. But what I find super interesting is even though now I'm grown, I'm a mom, I still encounter this mindset. Mm -hmm. I still encounter, and it's not, we're kind of past the education point. I mean, I think now it's like, okay, well, it's too late now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're educated. What are we going to do? But now it's more of prosperity. It's more of success. What does success mean? Mm -hmm. It's lack. It's because now, our families are starting to get to that end of life retirement phase. So they have been in this country for years and years and years. And you know that when you go back home, you got to show like you've done something up here. Yes. Yep. And especially, I know in Jamaica, that's the case. If you're going back even to visit, you have to show that you've made it. You have to show that you are from America. You are not living in squalor. You are... Yes, like you're Bill Gates, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Yes, because if if you're not, and God forbid, if you give them a secondhand t-shirt, it's not happening. They want something brand new and it has to be name brand. It can't be, you know, something that's not name brand. So the mindset is is still there. It's just so difficult. And I think, I don't know if I'll ever understand. I don't, I don't think I will ever understand. my goal is try to try to retrain my thinking so that way I don't like, you know, you're a mom, I'm a mom also retrain my thinking. So my kids are not living that way. So I'm not raising them that way. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's funny that I never was really cognizant of it. Like they would say things um, like I would never amount to much or I would never get good jobs. And then I look mm. at my resume and think, hmm. no, that wasn't true. Cause I did have some pretty high-end well-known companies on my resume yeah. um, and worked with some literally billion dollar organizations so that was never an issue but then I remember the first time I got the one job with a very very well-known consumer goods company so I, I called my mother and I said I can't believe I just got the job and um, it's going to be great. And I have a corporate account and it was, you know, it was a pretty decent position and the entire Antiguan community <laughs> all knew because nobody talks. Yes. Everybody talks to each other, but nobody says anything. So the entire Antiguan community was buzzing. <gasps> Did you hear about Althea? Did you hear about the jobs she got? <gasps> oh my goodness. That's amazing. And it just chirp, chirp, yes. chirp, chirp. Everybody had something to say. And I thought, okay, so but nobody was calling me white. Nobody was calling me coconut. Everyone was just like, oh, I'm so proud. And she's representing. And it was just a complete 180 mm -hmm. you know, from all of that. You won't amount to much. You won't. So it's, it's, it's so easy for them to go back and forth and contradict mm -hmm. and, and disagree with their own selves and their own psyche. Mm -hmm. And I just, I could never understand that and even now and there's so much out there now about the law of attraction and abundance and how if you could just kind of think about it you know gold bricks will just start to magically appear in front of you and stuff like that so it's not even a question of abundance it's more like you came here for better better is within your reach so when i reach for it why is it wrong yes Hmm. I guess better means you could be better, but not too much better than I am, right? So maybe having a job that's not what they had, you know, something a little bit better, but not too much better. Because if it's too much better, then they can't relate to you. They can't relate. They can't comprehend who you are as a person and what you really do. I, I don't think they can because um, like, that's a great example. My, my parents too didn't even get it when I said, um, you, could, you know, that I was like a vice principal or I was a professor or it was all these things. They didn't, under, they didn't even understand like what I was doing, like what the job was entail. They were proud after they have said the same things to me that you're not going to amount to anything. No one's going to take care of you. So you better get an education so you can take care of yourself. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think they understood. I don't, you know, and giving that up, like that's another conversation, but like even now, you know, giving up that, those jobs, right. To start something different. I think they're also confused about that too. So there's a lot that I think where our generation is like throwing at them that they don't really get, they don't really get it. Um, I don't think they'll ever get it. You said something that totally hit the nail on the head and totally explains this whole dynamic. You said, yes, they want better, but not better than me because they can't relate. And that, mm -hmm. hearing that, and if I just take 
a millisecond to just sit with this and absorb it and kind of chew on it. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Total 100% shining light. That's it. I'm done. Mic drop. Okay. Thanks for coming <laughs> out. Okay. Clarity has been achieved. That is so spot on. And it explains everything. It explains everything. Okay. Get an education, but not more than me. Mm -hmm. Get a job, but not a better job than I had. Because even now it's like, okay, make sure your job has a pension and security. And I can't tell you how many times I've been laid off. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's no job security to speak of. But it was always, yeah, that is, Simone, that is so true. Yes. <laughs> Education, but not more than me. Money, but not more than me. Yes, and we must stay in the same neighborhood. You can't move from, you know, if you're in whatever neighborhood you, you arrived here in, that's where you need to stay. You must stay there with your people because you mm -hmm. must eat the same food that you were eating when you grew up. You must go to the same places. You must do the same things. Like everything is the same. So it's just moving from one country to another, but the lifestyle, the culture, and everything is the same. They want you to stay in that, that bubble, not to go outside of that. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got a lot of that. And it didn't help that, you know, six months of snow doesn't make for a good Antigua, right? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I grew up without air conditioning because they didn't have air conditioning in Antigua, so we didn't either. Um, so silly hot summers, um, lake effect snow, six months of the year, you know, you can't really be Antiguan when there's a snow day. It just... Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But even now, now that... Even in this conversation, I love the fact that you said it's, it's, we can't surpass them. And because we have is where the discord is coming. But at the same time, why would I stop? Mm -hmm. why, why would, what's the benefit for me to not move forward? I think, you know, we have to keep moving forward. We have to just realize that, you know, these are their belief systems. It's not in line with ours because we are educated in a different country. We have different models of what we want. Our self-image of who we want to be is different than theirs. Uh, so what they have of us as, you know, my, my daughters should be this way or my son should be this way. We are not the way that they want us to be. We are who we want ourselves to be. And I think that we have to just let that go and really build our own self-image um, and create the person and the people that we want to become. Because if we try to please them, we're never going to be happy. We're never going to get out of that poor lack mentality. And we're always going to be in the same situation. We're going to raise our kids the same way and it, it never ends. So there's no progress. There will be no progress if we continue to try to please them and try to stay within the box that they want to keep us in. So I'm a rebel and I never fit in the box and I broke out of the box a long time ago. So, well, so truth yes. be told, Simone, I don't know many rebels with doctorates. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I remember I got called rebellious too. And I remember the first time that happened, I was in high school. I was on the volleyball team. I was on the track team. I was in junior achievement two nights a week. 
I was in the environment club, the yearbook committee, and had just been recruited to the grad committee. So I was doing all kinds of, you know, relatively decent stuff, but somehow I was rebellious and I thought, man, I knew kids who like did some things and were actually like in trouble with the law and put things in their noses other than that, you know, air. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, okay, so how, how does that compare? So it took me a long time to realize that no, I'm not, I'm not doing anything wrong here. <laughs> I'm going to school. I have goals. I have dreams. And yeah, I want, I want to have some money, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I want to have some money. And, and for the longest time I was made to feel like that was wrong, that I wanted to have money. Yes. That I wanted to not to live hand to mouth or paycheck to paycheck, that that was somehow, but again, that goes back to that crystal clear clarity moment that Simone, you and I had that it was mm-hmm. you can have money, but not more than me. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I mean, I don't understand. They want you to have money, but not more than me. Mm-hmm. And like family members, like if, for example, if you went, you know, you go back to your country, they're looking for handouts, they're looking for money. So it, it, is, it is very, very confusing as to what it is that, what are the expectations? Because it's, it's so fuzzy, right? It's so fuzzy. And if you want more money, it's like you're greedy, you, you know, that shouldn't be a priority. But then if you don't have the money, then you don't have the life that you want. And you can't raise your children the way that you want to raise them and have the lifestyle that you want. But I think for them, it's more about, you know, working seven days a week, having long hours. I remember recently I went to visit my family in New Jersey and my younger brother, he's like in his thirties. And my mom said to him, you should be working like 60 hours a week. And I, and I said, it doesn't mean as, you know, I said, he doesn't need to work 60 hours a week as long as he's happy with what he's doing and he's able to take care of himself in the way that he chooses, then he does not need to work 60 hours a week. So again, the amount of hours that you work is equate to, to you being a good responsible person it, for, in her mind's eye, right? In her mm-hmm. viewpoint, it's like, you're a better person if you work 60 hours a week. You're more accomplished if you work more hours, right? Instead of like, you know, basically teaching him to trade time for money, right? That's what they taught us, right? You mm-hmm. need to work more hours. You need to, you know, um, people used to say, are you Jamaican? And you say, yes. And they would say, do you have seven jobs? Because they would make fun of Jamaicans and say they have like a lot of jobs. And it's true. A lot of Jamaicans that I know had a lot of jobs. And I thought too, that I had to do the same thing. So when I first started working, I had like two jobs. And now, you know, of course I don't have two jobs now, but I thought that was what I was supposed to do. So if you don't know, you, you know, you could continue along this path, but I think our parents and their generation is very confused. They're not sure exactly what we should be doing, but it's not what we're doing. They don't want, we to, they don't want us to do what we're doing, but they don't know what we should be doing. So I don't think they get it personally. No. And I remember <laughs> yes. hearing that joke even, you know, in yeah. and I thought, <laughs> oh dear, because I actually spent most of my, well, still to this day, I spend my life telling people that no, I am not Jamaican. Yes. Um, I am Canadian, actually. Um, I was born here. My family is Antiguan. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, isn't that the same? No. 
<laughs> yes, I get that a lot too. Yes, yes. That is, it's not the same. Um, it's a totally different island, totally different, you know, it's a different country. It's like saying, oh, you're from the UK? I thought you were from Australia. Isn't it the same? Um, yeah, it's just so funny you say that. But now, here we are, grown women, mm-hmm. educated. We are, it's amazing how being, just to be aware of that mindset and be cognizant of it has made such a difference. So where do we go from here? Because we're still, the family is still there. That dynamic is not going to change. You and I both know this. Where do we go from here? How do we navigate the remainder of our lives? So for me, I've actually, within the last two years, started really looking at my belief system and looking at my subconscious beliefs and the things that happened to me, like the, 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 you know, one thing you brought up that I was, um, you're, you know, you're not going to amount to anything. You think you're better than us. You think you're too much. And because of those things were, you know, imprinted kind of in my uh, subconscious mind, because it was wide open at age, you know, zero to seven. So it was like all downloaded in there. I feel like, you know, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. So I think that was part of why I'm happy I have a doctorate degree and I'm happy I've done everything I've done. But I think that was my my way of like trying to feel like I was enough just kept going because they said, get an education because I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be part of the family. I wanted to be, you know, Jamaican and in my family and in my culture. So I think for me, I just wanted to please and I wanted to be enough, but I wasn't aware that I was doing that until like, to be honest with you, like two years ago, I started looking at my life in a different way and looking at my belief system and some of the things that I was doing didn't make sense. And after having children, you really, for me, I really took a deep, deep dive into what, how I was showing up for my kid, right? Um, especially I have a daughter too. And a lot of it was about, you know, your appearances. That was one thing, the education piece. And I just had to try, I, I'm basically trying to erase everything that they said to me. <laughs> I'm trying to rewrite my subconscious beliefs so that to more like, you know, empowering beliefs. So that way I can function better as a mom, as a person and as a wife, because otherwise the stuff that I learned does not serve me because those are the things that I was using uh, to keep myself down. Even though they were stopped, they stopped putting me down because I'm not really, you know, with them all the time. I would put myself down because of those things that I learned. So yes, yeah, so it's just kind of becoming aware of our, you know, how we're showing up for ourselves, our family. And, you know, like our, our family and really try to make a change to make sure that, you know, our kids are going to be raised differently and learn the abundance mindset and learn to think, really learn to think and not engage in the, you know, poverty and um, negative mindset and negative attitude. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of my journey right now. Simone, I want to thank you for your candor and Thank you for sharing your experiences on Brokenhearted. Our conversation is far from over, but for (laughs) now, I must just, I'm so grateful that you are on the podcast and you were able to share with us. So thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Thanks. As a first generation Canadian, I grew up in a culture within a culture. So it wasn't just having to navigate the culture of my family, but also trying to implement that culture into the dominant culture where I really didn't fit in to begin with. 
But the things that Dr. Katravan and I talked about, I believe, transcend not just being West Indian, but I think transcend what it is like to grow up in a family of immigrants. So now I want to hear from you. If you're a first generation from anywhere on the planet, what was that like for you? Are you still kind of unpacking the beliefs and structures that likely no longer serve you to this day? You can actually leave me a voice message under this show note or under this show or DM me on Instagram at Althea Branton. I would love to continue this conversation with you. Tune in next week for another episode of Brokenhearted. We'll have another unscripted conversation about heartbreak in all its forms. In the meantime, feel your pain and see what happens next. Follow me on Instagram at Althea Branton. Stay up to date with the latest news on Brokenhearted. Send me a DM. I'd love to chat.